Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about the word amazing. Everyone say the word amazing. Amazing. Come on, shout the word amazing. All of us have experienced amazing things in life. Whether you're young or old, you've experienced at least birth. Your own birth was amazing. Amazing places, amazing people, amazing facts, amazing things happen all around us all the time. Everything about our life is truly amazing. Everything about our world is amazing. People make billions of dollars just researching our world and doing documentaries on just all the animals in the world, all the fish in the world, all the different things about our world. It's always amazing. They find out more and more all the time. They just finished another documentary on the universe, all the new black holes that you find. My question is, how do you find a black hole if it's a black hole? But they have ways of finding these black holes that open up into another whole galaxy and universe out there, and they go on. On and on how our galaxies and our universe is just so mind-boggling. They're still researching to find out how mind-boggling it is. It's absolutely, come on, shout amazing. amazing. God created the heavens and the earth, and it's amazing. Everything about God's amazing. God created heaven and earth in the book of Genesis. He spoke the word, and there was creation. He took man and built him out of a little bit of dirt and breathed life into that little bit of dirt that he built that man, that human, into Adam. He took out of Adam a rib and built a woman. Everyone say, that's amazing. Amazing. Everything about the Bible is amazing as you go through everything in the garden, right through the flood, right through Abraham and the life of Joseph and what happens with all the dreams and the visions and the people and the Red Sea opening and the Jericho walls falling and the Jordan River stopping upstream and, and the manna that came into the wilderness for uh, 3 million people for 40 years and water out of a rock and Dead people are being raised from the dead and all kinds of things take place in the Bible. But the most amazing is the Lord Jesus Christ. The most amazing is about this person. The person, the Lord Jesus Christ, there's something so amazing about him. It should take your breath away. Now, we're religious enough to know enough about him, but we really don't really actually think deeply about what he did. The word amazing. The word amazing means it's something that causes you wonder. Surely the Lord Jesus Christ would cause you to wonder. That is astonishment, surprise, inspires awe, admiration. To be amazed is to be struck by something that takes your breath away. When was the last time you were struck by something that took your breath away? Now, we're trying to narrow this because I could show you all kinds of things that would take your breath away. All kinds of achievements and people and places and things and facts and world and pictures and and, uh, sports and amazing shots and amazing goals and amazing everything in the world that we live in. We could talk amazing for a long time. But let's try to narrow our amazing idea down to this person called the Lord Jesus Christ because no one in the universe has ever done what Jesus did. No one. He's the most amazing of all people that's ever been born. He's the most amazing of all people that have ever died. He's the most amazing because he is the only one 
the only one in 6,000 years that has risen from the dead and is still alive today making intercession for you and I. He's the only one that has experienced the things we're talking about. He's an amazing person. The amazing life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at the 12 events, his amazing birth, his amazing baptism, the heavens open up, a voice comes from God, his amazing temptation face to face with the devil. The devil would have been a friend of his before the devil fall, uh, his fall in the eternity past where the devil was Lucifer, the covering angel who was over the throne, who was over the worship, who was in eternity past. When you think about it, Jesus would have known that angel. Jesus would have known Lucifer as a person before the fall, before he actually took upon himself and crossed the will of God and was cast out of heaven. Jesus would have encountered him in eternity past because Jesus took on flesh, but he was the eternal son of God. He had always been. He wasn't just created at the birth. He was the eternal son of God. And then the word made flesh. And so Jesus knew the devil in time past. And then he encounters the devil face to face in a totally different circumstance. Now Jesus has a human body. Jesus is the son of God. And Jesus has come for one express purpose, and that is to put his foot on the neck of the enemy and to actually cast the devil into an eternal hell that will judge that devil forever. And that devil is his friend, that angel from the past. It must have been a very peculiar encounter, to say the least. No one has ever encountered the devil like Jesus encountered the devil. No one has ever taught the words like Jesus taught. No one had ever worked the miracles like Jesus worked. His transfiguration, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his second coming. Let's talk about the amazing touch of Jesus. Let's bring it right in. All right, Jesus is an amazing man, but he's a God man. Jesus had an amazing death, but it didn't stop with death. Jesus had an amazing resurrection, but it doesn't stop with resurrection. Jesus is still alive today. And so we come to this one part of my study with you about the amazing Jesus, where I want to look at one word, and that word is the word touch. Everyone say the word touch. We're going to look at it in the Gospels on how Jesus touched people, people touched Jesus, and what happened with that touch. And I want to bring it right down to your life today about the touch of God coming into your world. When Jesus encounters your world, When Jesus encounters your life, something begins to happen. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, we have a very touching story recorded about the Lord Jesus and about a particular kind of person that came to be touched by him. And this person represents not just his own life, but this person represents everyone that identifies with what was in this person's life as he comes to the Lord Jesus and Jesus touches him. I can remember very specifically the times where Jesus touched my life. I remember very specifically when I turned my life to Christ and the presence of Jesus flooded my soul. And I encountered that living love, forgiveness, that unbelievable Jesus that you can only know if you encounter him personally, not religiously. Not as a church member only, not just as an ascent with your mental ascent to God and doctrine, but a a personal, practical encounter with Jesus. I remember the touch. I remember the place. I remember the smell of the grass because I was out on the golf course. Uh, Not golfing, it was at midnight, but I was there. And I remember the atmosphere, the experience, and more than anything, I remember that touch. The melting of my soul. 
I remember the touch of God that came into my life when I was called to the ministry when I understood what call was. And that encounter with Jesus and the words that he spoke to my soul. Those words that have kept me all my life. Those words that have directed me all my life. But I remember the touch of Jesus. I remember watching Jesus touch people during my lifetime. Some of those I can think back on and I can remember the exact atmosphere where Jesus touched a person's life. I remember that young woman that was carried away in her rebellion, away from her mother and away from her family in a broken life and how she came into the service and and when she got touched and her whole facial expression changed, her whole hardness changed, everything about her life was just kind of melted in a few seconds and you watch a human life turn around and you just cry with that person, you shed tears with them because you realize they're being touched by the invisible Holy Spirit by the invisible Jesus, but the Holy Spirit brings that Jesus to encounter a person in a personal way. And that woman was changed forever. I remember when I worked in San Diego at a little coffee house, a Jesus coffee place we had down at Ocean Beach called uh, the, the Lost Penny. And the Lost Penny was a uh, place where we evangelized young people from the beach there. One of the young men that came in to the meeting was a heroin addict, hardcore, life messed up. He had been on heroin for a long time. Myself and my friend, talking with him, not knowing better, not knowing all the ins and outs of what this life meant and all the stuff that he was into, but just really believing what we were doing there was to share Jesus with people and that Jesus would touch people. This young man with his long hair hanging over, couldn't even hardly see his eyes. But when a person is is stoned and loaded like this young man was, your your eyes are glazed over and you're kind of spaced out about life. There's not a lot that you have to offer even in the conversation. This man was was loaded when we were talking with him. This young man was, was broken. This young man was broke physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, financially. His life was already a wreck. The devil had ruined him. As we spoke with the young man, we simply said to him, you know, Jesus wants you and Jesus can change you and Jesus is here. And, and he, he, in his own simplicity, said, can Jesus touch me now? Can Jesus do anything with me the way I am? Of course, that's not knowing better. We just said, yes, Jesus can change you right now and deliver you from this heroin. And you'll never go back on it. You won't go through withdrawals. You'll just be delivered right now on the spot. Now, we didn't know better. We just thought that would happen. And so we prayed with him and it happened. And so this young man, all of a sudden, was like someone turned a light switch, uh, uh, remembering the look of his face and the, the posture of his body. It was like he was asleep and we prayed for him and the light came on and this young man kind of just woke up to life, to the Holy Spirit, to Jesus. It was like a light switch and we were so dumbfounded by it, but yet not so surprised. It's almost like we expected Jesus to do that. And this young man's life was changed. He didn't go through any withdrawals. He became part of the ministry there, had a great testimony. It was a great miracle. I love it when Jesus touches people's lives. Come on. Come on, if you're gonna clap, let's clap for changed life. Come on, let's give it a clap and a shout and say, yeah, I believe for changed lives. That we could talk about a lot of touches like that, that you have seen, I have seen, the touch of healing. I've watched and been privileged maybe to see some blind eyes open, not from my prayers, but from Catherine Coleman and others that I was with. 
I have been in services where a deaf person ears popped open and they could hear. I have watched a child get healed from blindness. I've watched a child come out of a wheelchair. I've been in services where Jesus was so real that things began to happen that would be mind-boggling. And you look at that and say, that is so amazing that Jesus had touched those lives and Jesus would change those lives because why he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We just always don't expect that and reach out to that. And so Jesus is not always that way to us every time, but he wants to be that way to us every time. He wants to invade our world. He wants to change the direction of people's lives. This Matthew chapter 8 story is about a leper. In those days, a leper spelled no hope, no future, no life. No hope, no future, no life. A leper, how he found Jesus is mind-boggling to me in this way. You had to wear a bell around your neck. If you were a leper, you could not walk down the road without the bell ringing because people had to get off the road. You could never shop at the market marketplace. You can never go home to a normal home. There was only certain places lepers were even allowed to live at all. They weren't allowed into the city, not into the church, not into the synagogue. They weren't allowed on the roads or in the marketplace or anywhere. The the lepers were uh, rejected and put off to a side because people were so afraid of leprosy. It would cast a fear from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet because there was no cure. And people thought if they touched a leper, you would have leprosy and you would look like a leper. I've been in places where I have met lepers. Leprosy has a smell to it. Stench. Leprosy has the grossest deformity, what it does to a human body. That is almost breathtaking if you get close to a leper. If you've ever been close to a real leper and you see their nose is eaten, their ears are gone or their hands are just nubs or uh, you look at them and, and you, you're not inclined to hug them. You're not inclined to touch them. You're not inclined to say anything. It's beyond human comprehension. It's beyond human compassion. You don't know what to do. If you read the book by Father Damien when he went to the leper colonies in the Hawaiian Islands, And where he ministered, he lived and he died. He went there as a non-leper. He died as a leper. And as you read and you go through the story of his life and what he encountered with these lepers and the and the filth they lived in and the way they lived and the hopelessness, it's it's, it must it has to be the most heartbreaking uh, encounter you will ever have with a hopeless life. How did this leper find Jesus? Jesus has just finished Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Here it is in Matthew chapter 8. It says he's coming down from the mountain. Jesus is on the mountain. He gives the Sermon on the Mount. And he's coming down from the mountain. It's only probably six, seven, eight minutes walk. It's not like Mount Hood. It's just like a huge hill. And he's coming down from this mountain. And he's going to enter. And, and in the uh, geography of what the scripture says, is also prophetic and symbolic of what Jesus is actually going to do in his ministry because he has now just started. He has now just gone through the water baptism with John the Baptist. He's gone through the 40 days in the wilderness. He's gone through the temptation of the devil. He's been now anointed by the Holy Spirit. He's now come back with the power and the teaching of the word. And he goes up to the mountain. He's chosen his disciples. He's teaching the word. And this is his first miracle. As Jesus moves in as far as the miracle of a leper, a healing, he had the Cana, the wedding thing. But this is his first miracle with a person. And so as Jesus comes down the mountain, 
this leper must have been hiding. That's all I can think. There's no way he could have encountered Jesus secretly because people would have gotten him out of the way. He must have planned it out so strategically that he could be at the right place at the right time without anybody doing anything to him or pushing him away. And so he timed everything. He knew exactly where the path went. He knew exactly what bush he was going to hide behind. He knew exactly what he was going to say. He timed this thing out. And as Jesus was coming down the mountain, all the crowds were cheering and his teaching was awesome. All of a sudden, this leper falls in front of him. Like a huge stone you'd have to walk over. There's no way for Jesus to ignore him or get around him. A human life had just flopped in front of Jesus. Jesus looks at this man. Now remember, the reason Jesus... Pray differently for people. It's because when Jesus looks at a life, and this is what it says in the Bible, he did not need anyone to tell him what was in man. He knew what was in man and he knew all about man. He did not have to have anyone describe to him about the leper. He could see the leper, but this was what made Jesus so special. He did not see the present situation of the leper. He saw the circumference of the whole life. He saw when the man got the leprosy. He saw every pain, every unjust deed, every sacrifice, every loss of family and friend and business. Who knows what this man represents? Who knows if he was a business owner and a married man and had two or three kids? Who knows if he had this from the time he was young? Who knows what this man went through? Jesus knew. So when Jesus looked at this man, he saw the entire past, every hurt, every unjust thing, all the pain, the emotions, the sleepless nights, the rejection, the humility, the brokenness, the hopelessness, the no future, no life, no emotion. There is nothing in this dead piece of flesh. This man has nothing to offer God. He has nothing to offer humanity. He has nothing to offer Israel. This man has nothing for anybody. He is finished. He's a leper. But Jesus didn't just see where he was. Jesus saw where he's been and Jesus saw where he was going. So when Jesus in a microsecond His whole life, past, present, future, drops in front of him. The leper must have practiced this for hours and memorized, and he just cut through. He knew he only had, how long does it take to say what I'm going to say? Eight seconds? Twelve seconds at the most? He knew his time would be just enough to put out about two sentences before someone grabbed him or someone with a stick or a cane beat him away or whatever might happen to him. He knew he had to get right to the bottom line quick. So he fell down and it says he worshiped Jesus. How? We don't know, except he's on his knees. And I can only imagine that his worship was in an attitude, not an action. As he fell down on his knees... I can only imagine that he must have been filled with tears and filled with emotion because this was his moment to meet the great Jesus. And he just simply said, Master, meaning 
I know you have authority over this. I know you can do this. I know that you're Lord over diseases. I know who you are. You're master, you're ruler, you're Lord, you're curios. You're the man. So he just said, Jesus, master, if you want to, you can do this. What a prayer. He doesn't demand. He doesn't go through some kind of a whole history of his unjustness or his brokenness or whatever his pain or whatever happened. All of the loss, 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 loss. He doesn't get into anything. He just says, Jesus, if you want to change me, you can. If you want to give me a future. If you want to change my hopelessness, my brokenness, my pain, my guilt, my shame, my nothingness, you can. Remember, this is the first leper. There's no commentary, radio, television, book. There's no way to know what Jesus will do. No one knows, especially his disciples, what he will do. And this man doesn't know. There hasn't been any other lepers in front of him. He's the first leper. The moving part of the story is when the leper appeared, went to his knees. Master, if you want to, you can heal my body. Then the moving part is when Jesus says he reached out and touched him. You know how long it had been since anyone had touched this man? You don't touch lepers, not even your family. All he has experienced is everyone going, oh. I mean, we have just a little bit of a scare through some of the diseases that come across our nation. And we've had one just recently that could be passed on to people through a sneeze or a handshake. And, and all the news was telling us what to do. And when I travel, I see people with their mask on. And, and even through, when you go through security, they're testing you with a heat machine to make sure you have nothing going on in your body. And if you do, they put you in a separate room and then you have to see a doctor. And I've gone through all that traveling around and to see how fearful people are of just getting that particular. And it's not terminal. It's not a disease that will kill you. Although it did some people. And there was reason for the complication, but the normal person, it was not that huge of a thing. And the whole world said, man, I don't want to touch you because I might get that flu, cold bird thing, you know. Can you imagine what leprosy? Everyone. They would poke them with sticks to get their attention. They would cane them. They would... I mean, it was the cruelest life. How long had it been since someone actually reached out and put their hand on you? Everyone froze in time. What will Jesus do with this massive piece of hopeless humanity sitting in front of him? Jesus says, I will, I want to, and I do. And the Bible says immediately the signs of his leprosy 
began to evaporate. Can you even imagine if you were standing anywhere near? The nose starts filling in with flesh and the ears and the hands. He starts taking off the bandages because the bandages are moving. Uh, his hands moving through the bandages. He can't stop it. And so he has to take them off quickly because now he has fingers and, and thumbs. And, and all of a sudden, can you even imagine the atmosphere of that touch? Leprosy is a type of sin throughout the whole Bible. Leprosy spreads. Leprosy deforms. Leprosy rips you off. Leprosy makes you a reject. Leprosy takes from you everything you want. Leprosy ruins your future. Leprosy and sin do the same thing. Although you don't have leprosy of your nose and your ears, it's leprosy of your mind and your spirit and your heart and your emotions and your future and your dreams and your relationships and everything that's deformed and twisted that the natural eye cannot see, I can't see. Nobody can see what's going on inside of you. All the twisted parts and those things that would, would cause someone to back off and say, man, you are really messed up. But Jesus would not say, man, you're really messed up. Jesus would say, I can and I will. And I want to touch your deformity. I want to touch the leprosy in your spirit and your mind. And I want to make you every wood whole. I can and I will. What would you do? If you knew that Jesus could touch your life. Say, Frank, I'm so complex. I have to, please. You know, you just don't understand. I don't. I don't know if Jesus can restore what's been taken from me. I don't either. I don't know if Jesus can reach deep enough to heal what I feel. I can't respond to that. All I can tell you is this. The Jesus of the Bible can touch Anybody change anybody and give you a hope and a future, a new life, a new soul, a new emotion, a new you. The word leper brought fear to people, but the touch of Jesus brings healing. The word touch needs to be understood in scripture. But remember, there's, as I've gone through this word, there's two sides to this word touch that are very interesting. One is the one I just read you and the definition covers both sides. But one is the touch of Jesus where Jesus, like this leper, he comes and Jesus says, I will touch you. And so Jesus is the reacher. Jesus is the toucher. Jesus is the imparter. But there's another side to this word touch. And the side that I'm referring to is the woman with the issue of blood for 14 years who got down on her hands and knees because she had spent all of her money trying to get rid of her disease with all the doctors of the land. It says this in your Bible. She had spent everything. She was broke. She had no place to go. No more doctors to see. And she was emotionally spent. And her last stop, just like the leper, was Jesus. She drops to her hands and knees and she 
She's crawling on the dirt ground with the crowd stepping on her hands. A woman to do this would be even triple, quadruplet worse than a man to do it in those days. And as she goes through the crowd, she finally gets close enough to just grab one of the tassels on the hem of his garment. She grabs it. That's all she does. She doesn't even touch his flesh. doesn't touch him. She only touches the H-E-M, the hem, the outer part of the garment. She touches just as he's walking. Maybe it was a piece that was coming by and she just grabbed a hold of that one piece and touched it and then let go of it. Maybe she's thinking, oh, I still didn't get... Something started happening. The crowd kept moving, but the woman stopped. And then Jesus stopped everybody and says, just a second here. Who touched me? The disciples said, come on, Jesus. What do you mean who touched you? There's people everywhere. Everyone's touching you right now. I mean, why would you say who touched you? Jesus never mind. Someone touched me with a touch of faith. Because out from me has gone virtue. And someone has received a miracle. And Jesus stops and says, who is it? The woman being embarrassed, not one to cause any problems. But she's being healed. So finally she says, it's me. I'm being healed. I, I don't know what to say. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I crawled. I'm sorry. Never mind. It's you. You're being healed. Woman, your faith. Woman, your faith has done this for you. Sometimes a touch of Jesus, he initiates and he comes to you and responds. Other times, it's you reaching out to him in such a radical way that you go after Jesus with such a faith and a desire and an attitude that you want to touch him. And when you touch him with that reach of faith, the grace is released and a miracle happens immediately. How hungry are you for a changed life? How much will you risk not putting Jesus in the middle of your life. How do you know what tomorrow brings next week or a year? How do you know if you keep the steering wheel in your hands where you're driving your life? How do you know? How do you know that there's not something that Jesus wants to do in you that would be so magnificent and wonderful that it would not only change you, but every friend, and not only your friends, but your entire family tree to be touched by one decision. One person. I don't know if you've ever read some of the genealogies of people and some of the ways that people bring them together, but... There was one study done in history of of two people. One was a thief and a murderer, and the other one was a righteous man who called on Jesus. They did the family tree of both people. Over here, 
the family tree of this one man's decision out of this one man's decision in his life and his marriage and his kids and his children, 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 and right down for four, five, six, seven generations out of this one man's decision, there came senators and judges and presidents and lawyers and nurses and doctors and missionaries and pastors and preachers. It's, it's mind boggling. 700 and some people. Over here, this one man's decision to turn his heart away from God, never accepted Christ, was a selfish living person, was a lawbreaker, was a thief and a robber and a murderer. That man reproduced after his kind murderers and thieves and rapists. And it cost the country thousands and thousands of dollars to put them all in jail. And it gives you this family tree of two people. But it started with one person's decision. What's it mean to be touched by Jesus? It implies him taking hold of your life, imparting what he has to you, changing you, making you better. A touch. I want Jesus to touch your life today in a biblical way. I want him to take hold of your world. I want him to take hold of your life. I want him to impart a divine something into you. I want him to change any part of your life that has any touch of leprosy, any touch of leprosy in your soul, your emotions. Or if you've never really totally just said, Jesus, you're so amazing. Why wouldn't I give you my whole life? Why would I keep things so close? Why would I try to live it by myself? Why would I try to make all the decisions? Why would I keep you at arm's length when you're the most wonderful, awesome Lord and master of anyone's life? You help, you heal, you guide, you provide. You're an amazing person to be in my life. Why wouldn't I open my life to a person like you? Only because the devil lies. The devil puts a deception on you. The devil says you're going to have to give up too much. The devil says that something else is going to happen, but that's a lie of the devil. That's why we call it the lie of the devil. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus says, I will give you life and life more abundant. I will be your shepherd. I will be your provider. I'll be your forgiver. I'll lift you up. I'll help you through. I'll be there when everyone else walks out. Come on, people. Jesus is amazing. He's amazing. Why wouldn't you? Let that amazing person be in your life. There's no reason. And if you've shunned him a little bit, why wouldn't you take it back in? Come on, pray this prayer with me. It's on the screen. Here's our prayer. Jesus revealed to me your unlimited love and grace. No barrier can hinder you from pouring out your blessing into my life. You are the one who forgives restores, rebuilds, and gives second chances. I am open for your touch today. Second chances, forgiveness. There's no sin he can't handle. Chuck Colson, who was a chaplain in the prison ministry, still is. He was with a woman named Valma, who in 10 hours was going to be executed for multiple murders that she committed. But six years previously, he led her to Christ. But she had... Well, I don't think any of us would even come close maybe to what she carried in her life. Now, she sat there with Chuck Colson 10 hours before they're going to send her into eternity. 
Chuck could see that she was suffering with, I'm not sure, has Jesus really forgiven me? And, and, you know, I've done horrible things. And Chuck, come on, make me believe this. And, and it says in his book, Chuck was trying to figure out a way because he could see this thing in her was so deep and she's going into eternity in just a few hours. So he said, Velma, have you ever been to the ocean, to the beach? Have you walked along the beach? Oh, yeah, yeah. Have you seen the little tiny holes that the crabs make? She says, yeah. He says, have you seen the holes that people do when they dig holes and make sandcastles? And she says, yeah. Have you been to a beach where there was machinery working and they had these big backhoes and they dug these huge holes in the sand? She goes, yeah, I think so, I have. He says, Velma, what happens when the tide comes in to the crab hole, the hole with, made with the kid's hands or the huge hole with the... What happens? Well, the tide covers all of it. It doesn't matter if it's a little sin, little castle, little... When Jesus comes in like the flood of grace, like the ocean and the tide, all of a sudden the beach is all flattened again. You can't tell where the holes are. You look around and say, amazing. That's amazing. He says, that's the way the love of God is. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because the love of God covers all sin, all iniquity, all failure, deep hole, big hole, holes as big as this building. He covers every one of them the same way way. Why? Because he's merciful, merciful, full of mercy. Merciful. He has all the second chances you will ever need. He is merciful, full of second chances. He's full. Full for you, for me. Second chance, love of God, unlimited, touches life, new beginning. For your dreams, for your hope, for your life, for everything about you, spirit, soul, and body. Jesus is the toucher of people's souls. He brought you into the building today for you to hear this word. God loves you. God is after you. God wants to reach his hand down and touch you. God wants to restore you, rebuild you, revive you, remake you, redo What's going to happen in the future? Because he knows and he can see. He is the Jesus. That is so amazing.